Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting edition of In the Trenches Sports. Sean Ludden joined alongside by the coach, Chance Clemens. Coach, what's up? Hey, not much. Another great day in Tulsa. Oh, was it really, though? It really was. It's been phenomenal weather the last couple of days, and I know it's going to get miserable pretty soon, but it was definitely pretty nice the last couple of days and nice to enjoy. So, Yeah, I know uh, down here in uh, Dallas Metro, we kind of got a reprieve from the heat um, for a few days. Monday, it was 87 down here. Mm. I mean, it was nice and didn't get into the 90s. I was I was living living it Um, right but absolutely enjoyed it not looking forward to the heat again but we're coming up on my favorite holiday ever which is fourth of july um bummed out that down here fireworks are banned all over the place i'm one that loves to go out and blow stuff up and you can't do that down here it's it's mostly just because you where you live at really yeah. Once you once you get out of the city. Well, I mean, I'm have... I'm in I'm forty miles north of Dallas, you know, still in like the areas where it's building up, but Yeah. Really really what it I think comes down to is just these small towns and how quick these houses come up and the dry climate. They don't want to take a chance. Exactly. So which is understandable, but I'm definitely going to miss blowing stuff up. Everyone does. I I wish I could do it more often, but one day I'll be able to have my own little Fourth of July party, and we'll we'll really throw down and blow some stuff up. That you will. All right. So, just give everyone a little bit of a uh, rundown for what's going on this episode, and you know, next week episode, kind of centered around the Fourth of July holiday. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different. Touched on it last week, um, but we're going to dive into our stories and what got us into our love for football and what has continued to drive our passion for the game. Um, you know, maybe what has been some of our inspirations, what's been some of our heartbreaks with the game as well. Um, really just kind of tell our story. So tonight we're going to focus in on my side, um, learn about, you know, what has driven my love and passion for the game um and then next week we'll uh look into yours but one thing we always do here on our podcast is our coin toss and uh i think we got pretty good two topics tonight and we are constantly every single week bringing this up but deshaun watson's in the headlines again and coin toss or not Jacoby Brissett will be the starting QB for the Browns week one. I'm going to say heads. I I don't think there's anyone else right now on the roster that's going to be the starter. With Baker, they've already kind of separated themselves from him and vice versa. And for them to have to come back and beg – for Baker to come back and be the starter would be too too prideful for them. It, it would, they have too much pride to do so. And so they already signed 
you know, they intentionally went after Jacoby Brissett because he, he fits the Watson mold a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, and this is also, it's, it's risky for the Browns because I, I can kind of see where it's like, if Watson can't play, we're just going to unofficially tank for the year. And that way we just build that team up with younger, better talent moving forward. But you're also running the risk of you got some guys on that roster that are already a little old and hitting their peak and you might wait too long to make something happen. So uh, you got a guy like Nick Chubb. He's getting up there in running back age. Yeah. I mean, Chubb might have two more peak years, but honestly, I think he has maybe this year. and That's it. Yeah. And so unless they really go trade or get a solid running back in the next draft next year, they're I think they're gonna struggle at that position. So I, if he I gets think hurt, they're... it's gonna suck. And I think Jacoby's a good starter to work your offense around, but I don't think he's the guy to get you to the playoffs. No, he you know. he's the type of guy that's the Browns are going to be a cellar dweller this year. Um, you know, I, I do think if everything happens the way it is with uh, Watson and the league gets what they want and he's going to be suspended indefinitely, um, I think he'll be suspended for at least this season. If not, you know, for the foreseeable future, a few seasons after that as well. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of stuff coming out, you know, even with 20 of the 22 or 22 of the 24, you know, lawsuits or settlements, you know, getting settled. There's still a lot of stuff coming out about these cases and everything else that is not boding well for Deshaun Watson. And the league does not want to be tarnished by that. And I think Roger Goodell is going to do everything in his power to make sure Deshaun Watson is not going to play football. No, and it's crazy how he started this off with never doing anything, and now he's settling. If you're settling a case or a complaint... You're admitting guilt. You're admitting guilt. And that just makes the Browns look stupid... And, I mean, at least kudos to them for going all in on it. Like, they got the guy they wanted, even though they knew this was the possibility, and they're still backing him. So, I mean, if you're going to make the mistake, at least ride with the mistake. So, I can't really, you know, look down on the Browns for it, because at least they're going to own it and take it. But... It's the Browns being the Browns. Year after year, they do something stupid. Browns fans stay with them. You know, I got to give it credit to them. They're a loyal fan base. If I'm a Cleveland fan, enough is enough. Something's got to be done about this franchise and about this ownership and about this front office. You know, they got to stop making decisions that's hurting this team, and they they need to get back to a winning side. Baker Mayfield did that you know, and got them to the playoffs and then you just give up on him. Yeah. Especially when you didn't provide a 
supportive foundation, structure, team, organization, whatever, X, Y, and Z around him. Like, you change this coaching staff so many times, the guy is going to struggle to find success continuously because he's having to learn something new every time. Uh And, yeah, he's a pro athlete. He should be able to do that. But Tom Brady was so successful because why? He had the same coach for multiple years. Even when the, when O'Brien took over for McDaniels the first time, it was the same offense, essentially, except O'Brien added his own little spin on it. So really it was just, hey, we just need to change the terminology just a little bit of this is what I'd like and – I know you like this, this, and this, so we're going to continue this, and then we'll add this, and we'll build off of it. I mean, you can take a guy like Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen, for example. Great talent coming out of college, very high expectations, and gets thrown into a situation where every year he's got a different coach, a different offensive coordinator. He's been through multiple teams, been a journeyman, and has never had that opportunity to actually show what he can do because of the changes that are being made around him. No. And I didn't think Rosen was anything special, but it was not Arizona was not a good place for him from the start. It just it nothing nothing there really made sense to me. And especially when the quarterback is already on the hot seat, when you're getting drafted, it it just never seemed like a good fit. And for me, I think Rosen would have been a great candidate for um, Green Bay. Yes. I think he would have been a great backup in Green Bay. And then even maybe the Patriots, where you knew – Brady was already kind of having some ruffled feathers. They could have maybe – they absolutely would have got him with the first-round pick. But if he's a guy that falls, you know, you might be able to trade up and grab him or whatever the scenario is, steal him in the second round or something. But he he was always the guy that needed a specific structure to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think Baker's almost the same way where he's going to be talented and provide, but he's not going to be, he's not going to be Brady or Manning where no matter where they go, they're the head honcho and everything revolves around them. Now Baker can fit into any scheme, but it's what is he the best at and how do we make this work? And how do we develop him to work into our system? If that makes sense. It does. Because when you have a veteran guy that's so established, like those two, you already know what they like and what works for them, that it's basically, hey, this is what we have to offer. Pick what you like. Pick what you want to try. And whatever you don't like, we'll scrap it and we'll see if – it's something we can execute with a backup quarterback if you get hurt. So it just adds a different, you know, flair to something. But I think for Jacoby Brissett is going to be the starter for the Browns. He's going to provide 
some decent value, but he's not going to be anything great. And so I see them having a six-win season if he's at the helm all, all year. He's at least going to be your guy that you could look to from a fantasy perspective to maybe be as a QB three on your roster is what I'd say. You know, I I do think he's going to be that week one starter as well. Um, And like you said, I I don't think he's going to lead to the Brown, lead the Browns to, you know, the promised land this year or anything else. I think he's going to have, they're going to have an average season um, above average for the Browns, you know, above average in my opinion for the Browns is six to seven wins. Uh, I think that's going to be right where they land this year. Um, They're going to finish last in the AFC North, but that's to be expected when you have the type of turmoil and the type of, you know, distractions happening in that locker room um, that's going on in Cleveland. Um, You know, and speaking of distractions, um, one thing that's kind of weighing in in New New York is the media. The media is always a distraction um, for New York when it comes to the players. And you look at Daniel Jones. He's going into a contract year. And the media throughout his career has given him a lot of pushback and feedback and not, not as a very positive look either. Um, so going into this year, Will Daniel Jones have a career season and lead the Giants to a winning record? I'm going to say tails. I, the kid was never set up to succeed in the first place. He had a – I'll say he had a good rookie season. Nothing special or anything, but just a nice, solid season. You know, 3,000 yards. He went 24 and 10 in his – and passing. So it's, I mean, it's not terrible. It's not great, but I, I don't think he's anything special. He's mediocre. His yardage continues to drop every year. Now his completion percentage has gone up every year, but his yards are dwindling. His touchdowns have gone down. So I, I just don't think he can do it. And part of that might just be he's in New York, and New York's a hard place to succeed, just mostly because of the media. Um, But, again, this is a guy that he's had a longer career as a starting quarterback than he probably should have been or should have been given. And he'll probably spend the next four to five years being a backup after this season. I mean, do you think with now – Brian DeBull coming in as head coach, this could possibly change things for Daniel Jones? I really don't think so. I mean, unless they are going, unless they are going to really hone in on being a run first team and really get good at small to medium passes of just quick pro style offensive passes of just a hitch, a curl, maybe a slant type throws and out routes. That's pretty much how I see them, but their offense is so set up for 
almost a running gun mm-hmm. with their wide receivers, but he's not a running gun quarterback. He, I don't really think he was that successful at Duke in that type of system. He was more of a pro style at Duke, if I remember correctly. And so just because he can run a little bit doesn't put him in that best scenario. And Baker, going back to Baker quickly, is that's the system he was kind of in in college was the RPO, run and gun, spread type offense because of the talent around him and the offense around him. Uh He doesn't have to be in a pro, single running back, run, run, throw, run, 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 throw type of system. Daniel Jones at Duke, you're not going to get the talent you do at OU or Ohio State or even a Florida or Texas. or So your system is going to have to adapt around the players you have. And I don't think he's made the full transition to the NFL. He gets overwhelmed in the pocket. He scrambles too much. He's He fumbles too much. And he hasn't played a full season. That's what also is upsetting. 13 games his rookie year, 14 games his sophomore year, and 11 games his third season in. Now, his rookie year, I'm not going to hold that against him. He's a rookie. They There's a lot of scenarios that can go into that. You know, save him for the future, let him rest, whatever. But his last two years, I mean, he's missed – two games and he's missed six games. So I, I, I really like their talent, but I just, I don't see them succeeding. And if this is kind of the year for them where if you're going to succeed, you have to do it now. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I, I just see the writing on the wall that he's, he's out. You know, I, I think for me, when I look at Daniel Jones, um, I'm going to agree with you. I, I think it is tells. I don't think the Giants have a winning record this year. But it's a partial heads for me as well. I think he does have, the way you look at it for him, a career season. I think he plays the whole season. I think he sees some improvement in his numbers um, when it comes to passing yardage, touchdowns, you know, completions, everything else like that. I I think we see, you know, maybe a little bit less on the mistakes and turnovers. Um, I think Brian DeBull is going to be a good fit for Daniel Jones. I I think he's going to allow him to really dive into this playbook and figure out what's going on. Um, Jones is a big bodied quarterback, kind of a lot like, Josh Allen is in Buffalo and that's what the bulls coming from now Jones cannot run like Allen, but we've seen him be able to at least break free a few times and get some crucial yardage. And Mm -hmm. he does have a, he does have a decent arm as well. So I think that kind of bodes a little bit well for him, you know, with that double offense that's coming in. 
So I, I think it is going to be a, a bit of improvement for for a contract year. Um, I think you could call it a career season for him, but I I don't think they're going to have a winning record. Um, this NFC East is it's probably the most lackluster division, I would say, um, when I look at all the divisions. Because there's no consistency. There's no driver determination from any of the teams. You, It's it's a parody division. Um, you can go and say, hey, well, the Cowboys are going to win it this year. Well, no, they're not because it's the Cowboys and Jerry Jones or something with the Cowboys ends up happening every single year to where they fall apart and they choke. Um, you have the Eagles, which can always just sleeper contend for the division. You have the commanders now that you never know what's going on with them. Sometimes they're great and they can spoil someone. Sometimes they get blown out. And then you have the giants, which can do the same thing. Um, you know, it's the most lackluster and most parody division in my opinion. And until they until every team really buys in and figures out what they are going to do and be want to decide to become competitive against each other as well, you know, it's still going to sit at the bottom of the cellar for me in the NFL. Um, and that that's just my take on the NFC East and what's going on there. And I, I agree. And to Jones's credit – Saquon Barkley's been hurt every year. Last year, you know, uh, Sterling Shepard's been hurt a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. If I remember right, Galladay got hurt last year. His tight end, uh, former Giant Ingram, was hurt every year besides his rookie year. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't had consistency around him, which – I, I get as a quarterback, you need consistency with your weapons. Their running back room has not been that great. You know, it's after Saquon, it's really Dayon Jones is their top runner, you know. So, but with that being said, they went out and got Tyrod Taylor for $17 million for two years to be the backup quarterback. If Daniel Jones cannot produce, and at least I will say this, he doesn't even have to win. He doesn't even have to go two and two his first four games. But if he can produce and show that he's able to provide the potential of winning in those first four games, he'll probably, he can at least try to finish out the year. But if he cannot show, show, that he has the potential to take this team to where they want to go. Tyler Taylor is going to step in and he's going to make this team dangerous. Yeah. Cause Tyrod is one of the most overlooked and successful quarterbacks in the NFL. And he had a Lackluster Houston team. He put them in several winning positions. He was with the Bills. Helped them 
succeed when they didn't have much mm-hmm. star talent. And so now he's on a Giants team with a top 10, top five potential running back. If he stays healthy, he's got Galladay, Shepard, Tony, rookie Robinson at wide receiver with Slayton. So they have five solid wide receivers. Rookie Seals Jones at tight end. They brought in Jordan Atkinson. So they have some potential to be a dangerous offense. Will it happen? I don't. I don't know. But that's that's kind of something I'm gonna watch the first four weeks. Is how is Daniel Jones gonna do? Mm-hmm. And. Daniel Bellinger, the rookie tight end they got in the fourth round, could be a potential star for them. I I think he could almost be what Buffalo used Knox as and what the Steelers used um, Fryermuth as last year as you know the possession end zone type guy. Just that big body. That big body frame. And of course they have Seals Jones, but if you get in two tight end set, you're almost looking at the New England Patriots with Gronk and Hernandez that one year. Now really? that's a lot for a, a rookie. Bringing a murderer into this now? Well I'm just saying talent wise, yeah now that's, that's a lot talent. for a rookie to be compared to, but I don't know if Jordan Atkinson can stay consistent enough. So I think there's potential for Daniel to kind of overtake as that number two tight end and really develop into the starter into the future. And that could be a key for Daniel Jones to kind of lean on those tight ends a little bit to open up the passing game. Mm-hmm. But those first four games are really going to dictate can he do it or are they going to turn it over to Tyrod and let him, you know, really control the future. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you said, I I think if he can get that work with the tight ends, you know, find the middle of the field, that's going to open up those outside passing lanes, um, be able to get, you know, some routes there with, you know, his receiving core. Um, which then Intel opens up the running game too with Barkley. And if Barkley can stay healthy, you know, the Giants could be onto something. But uh, it, it's those first four games will be crucial. Um, and so we'll, we'll see how the Giants do. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to revisit this halfway, uh, definitely at our like quarter marks of the season, everything else as well. Yes, we, we absolutely have to. So now, uh, you know, good coin toss there. Um, you know, I, I think now we'll uh, get into our next segment. So, Chance, uh, I'll let you take it away. All right. So, like we stated that last week, we're going to, you know, kind of talk a little bit of our about ourselves and each other and kind of dive a little deeper into our personal side with the connection of sports and football. And so something I've always 
early on kind of really connected me to sports. And so I'm going to ask you this question because I, I think it's a good way to kind of lead in is who was your favorite player growing up? That's a tough one. Um, you know, because as we both grew up in the nineties and into the early two thousands, there were so many great players in the league. Um, you know, and me being the bigger kid too, I kind of always gravitated to, you know, those bigger bodied guys, you know, the ones who really didn't get a lot of fame or attention, but they were down in the trenches doing a lot of work and, you know, putting their body out on the line. Um, if I was just doing the conservative answer, I would probably say Tony Gonzalez, but if I'm going, you know, full fledged, favorite player um it's either going to be willie rofe brian waters or will shields um from that kansas city offensive line into the early 2000s um and i fully like one of my key memories is that 2003 chiefs team when they went 13 and 3 and then lost to the Colts in the divisional round in the no punt game. But between those four, I, I would say Tony Gonzalez conservative answer would be number one. Um, and then if I'm going, you know, wholehearted, you know, down in the trenches, it's between Rofe, Waters and Shields there, right there. Very nice. I, and it's kind of funny cause you know, I think everyone looks at the athletic guys, you know, the quote athletes, because mm-hmm. they're the guys getting the ball or making the big plays and stuff like that or tackles or, and everything. Or the pretty but, boys, the quarterbacks. Yeah. And everyone kind of forgets about the alignment, but man, they were so, nothing happens without them. And they're so. There's just, I don't know, as a young kid, like, they're so interesting to watch sometimes. And, like, you can get fascinated and just blown away with, like, what a grown man can do to somebody. Oh, exactly. And, I, you know, I think, too, when you look at it as a kid and you're getting first introduced into the game and everything else and you see the guys on the offensive defensive line and you're, say, go to a practice or training camp um, and you're there in person and you look up and you're a five, six-year-old kid and you look up and you see this behemoth of a man and you're just like, oh my gosh, who are you? What are you? How do I get to be that big? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're, like you're, you're just fascinated with that. And every time you see him play, you're just drawn and you're – you're just drawn to that TV. And whenever I would watch a game, you know, and that's, I think that's one reason why I love, you know, the film, the film angle, you know, that they have the television angle, um, that side view where you Mm -hmm. have, because it's literally, you see the offensive line and defensive line, just mash heads, you know, mash bodies first, just straight on, as the play's getting started. And 
I always hate it when the camera starts moving and going with the action because where the action is for me is right there in the line. No, I, I completely get that. And every once in a while, it's like ESPN has like um, ESPN three and it shows you like the six different camera angles you can watch. And so like every once in a while, like you can find that one that like sits right behind the offensive line and you can just watch how they're, how they're running the play, you know, on a run play, they're all stepping to the right or who's pulling or who's doing a combo. And then when it's pass protection, you know, how are they sliding? How are they picking stuff up? Oh, I have no one to block, but my, I'm punching with my right to, you know, help with the center and I'm watching the linebacker you know, as he's eyeing the quarterback and seeing if he's going to blitz. And so I've always thought that that was really neat. And it's so, it's so crazy how the NFL has evolved with the cameras and being able to show so much more, almost the technique side of the game. Oh yes. As we've grown up. But now since we know your favorite player players growing up while you're playing when when you first started playing when was that and did you try to emulate your favorite players so first time I played organized football um you know and I would say it was third grade um, is a little rec league. I remember, and we were the, we were the Titans. Um, I remember every time we'd come out to, we would do the, you know, do that Titans spiel, you know, the who, ha, oh yeah, who, ha, oh yeah, we're the Titans, you know, do that mm-hmm. type of, do that type of thing walking down from the parking lot onto the field. Um, but you know, me and my core group of friends, you know, we stayed together for a few years, um, bouncing between rec leagues and, you know, going between different teams. Um, and all of us, we were on offense and defense blind. You know, we had one of our buddies that was a quarterback. Um, another one was a running back as well, but majority of us, we were, we were on the old line. And so I was playing, uh, I think right guard, um, do a little bit of right guard and left guard. Um, and, I remember the number I picked out was 61 and it was for Tim Grunhard. Um, and I, I don't remember why I did that, but I think it was mainly because I remember my dad having a Tim Grunhard t-shirt growing up and just the look of fierce, you know, and just how physical he was on the line and everything else, um, you know, really, really made me kind of want to play like him, um, which I did try to do. Um, but it, it was just so much fun. And I, I remember one thing that, uh, and I, I, I don't know if it happened in your like rec leagues when you were growing up with like the bigger kids too, but there was like a weight limit. So if your kid was over a certain weight, he couldn't touch the ball 
if he touched mm-hmm. the ball, he had, he had to just fall on it, and he had a big red X on his helmet. And so I remember them on all of us linemen, we had a big giant red X um, on our helmets. And the only one that didn't have a red X was our center. And because he was like under 150 pounds. So it was like 151 and higher. You couldn't advance the ball, but 150 and lower, you could advance the ball. So there were a few times where, you know, I think we did like some trick plays and stuff like that. And he like faked hiked the ball and kept it himself. And then it uh, took off running with it as well. But if the other coaches were, and parents, I think, were mad because they're like, oh, he has an X. No, no, he doesn't. <laughs> it's just, it, it's it's that, uh, you know, it's not cheating. It's just uh, ingenuity right there. You know, it's, exactly. it's uh, you know, just a little gray area in the rules. No, exactly. And when you're little, you're still learning the game. And so it's almost like coaches kind of take, try to take advantage of like that innocence of like, they don't really know the game. So like we can maybe get away with a play or two that's technically illegal. Mm-hmm. Like we can run the fumble ruski, but the center is just going to hold the ball the entire time. And then all of a sudden just take off. Exactly. Yeah. I, I Which, still, re- I still remember like my first time getting called for a holding I'm just like, what are you talking about? I didn't hold him. And the ref has to come over and I'm like, I think I was almost near tears or something because I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. And the ref's just like, you tackled him. I'm like, I just blocked him. (laughs) What? (laughs) I laugh because that's so true. Because like as a kid, like you don't, you don't know what holding is half the time. And then no, you're just trying to stop the kid in front of you. And you feel like he's just assaulting you half the time. Cause there's no real like advantage at O-line when you're young. Like it's the D line has the complete advantage when you're young. And you know, what's funny is we talk about, you know, that holding and, you know, the refs tell and coaches telling us, you know, as we're playing these rec leagues and stuff like that, growing up and learning the game, Oh, you're not supposed to hold. You're not supposed to grab the jersey and everything else. You're just supposed to go like fat, uh, flat palm right into his chest, you know, make Mm -hmm. that. And then when we get up into high school and college and, you know, even the pros, your coach is telling you, grab him right underneath the shoulder pad, right inside that chest and just manhandle him, move him side to side. But you keep it inside the chest to where the refs don't see it. And you're just holding him. Exactly. It's like, but what about all this when I, I growing up? Yeah, it kind of just goes right out the window. And it's like, now we're going to teach you how you can, like, acceptably cheat. Which, honestly, holding is just called creative blocking nowadays. It really is. I mean, you have so many different types of moves coming now from the defensive linemen so many different stunts and everything else it's it's hard to block them yeah and i I never understood why and expect it always depended on the like the size of the players too but like 
your offensive line can your offensive line can never be like past the butt or like your nose can never be past their hip or something like that. So then if you got like a really short kid playing guard and on the left side you have a really big kid playing guard, like you almost have a deformed like flying V at offensive line sometimes. Uh-huh. And it's just that's so funny. Especially like if you watch little kids nowadays playing you're just like, man, was I really that small? And like, is that what we really looked like? Right. I, I still remember us growing up and, you know, our coach would tell us, okay, get in your splits. And, you know, even as we're coming out to the line, breaking the huddle, we would put our arms up against each other, side to side, touch each other's shoulder pads. And that's how far we knew we had to be away from each other. Mm-hmm. And then I would always go, okay, well, here's my, you know, center's foot. My left foot needs to be halfway between, you know, right where the middle of his arch is. And that's where I know where I have to set up. And it's just those things there that you just kind of remember and grasp onto. But it's like you, it's like you said, you know, if you've got that big guy, you know, playing guard or playing tackle or something, and you've got the really short guy playing, center you know on the other side of the line everything is deformed yeah and we still teach that like i teach i coach high school and middle school and so with middle school like we teach the same thing of just like okay your your toes are the insert at the arch of his foot and then the next guy is the same way and then by the time like they're in high school and they're juniors and seniors like they break the huddle and they run up there and like just just it's muscle memory that like they don't even have to look. They know automatically like where they're set because uh-huh. they see the ball, they see the center. And so like, they don't even have to look at their feet. And I th- it was the same way for us. I'm sure as we got to high school and even a little bit in college, just like you knew exactly where you're supposed to set automatically just because of the repetition for so many years. Yes. And so to kind of piggyback off of that and your memories, is there, is there a memory that's maybe your, the first real memory you remember about football associated with football or like your favorite memory? You know, I think probably one of my earliest memories is watching preseason football with my parents. Um, and it's something I, I kind of remember vividly. And if you ever get those memories where you're just like, Oh, I remember this and I remember it happening. And then you don't, no one else believes you until you kind of find something of it, but it takes you mm-hmm. like year, years to find that thing. And then you're just like, Oh my gosh, there it is. Well, that's like me with the, with this, you know, the chiefs preseason football is I remember on you know, the local CBS station, KSTV5 up in Kansas City, you know, they would have, um, what was, it was the coolest, like, intro graphic ever for, you know, the preseason football. And it would be like this Chiefs head that would come out of outer space, this Chiefs helmet that would, like, come out of outer space or whatever, and just, like, then fly into you know this computer graphic stadium 
with like fireworks and lights going off and everything else and just kind of like shoot up the opponent's helmets and blow it up. And next thing you know, you see the chief's logos all over the place and going, you know, are you ready for some football and all that other. And just re- I remember watching those games so vividly with my dad and, you know, my mom and my sister and just growing my love for, you know, for my chiefs. And I think that was kind of the first true, you know, memories I had of football. Um, and then I still remember, gosh, I want to say I was eight or so, if not, maybe it was right around that age. Um, you know, my dad and I, we would go out to local high schools in the KC Metro. And I still remember us going to a Bishop Miege and Olathe, I want to say it was Olathe North, um, high school football game at Bishop Miege. And it was to see Darren Sproles play. And he, he played for Olathe, uh, for the Olathe North team. And, you know, this is, it was like Sproles, I think senior year. So he was getting, you know, already committed to K state to play for Bill Snyder and all this jazz and just seeing him out there dominate and what he could do at the high school level you know, it was, it was amazing, but just the time spent as well, just being able to soak up the knowledge of the game too. Um, that that's, those are some of my earliest memories I have. That's awesome. Would you, would you say that your dad was really, really kind of your biggest supporter and just inspiration and or is there someone else or maybe there's you know multiple people yeah I I would say it was my dad um you know my mom as well great supporter um you know all the way up until I we lost my dad um you know in 2007 my dad was always he, he was a truck driver um, I remember as a kid, you know, he was over the road, um, and then he became a city driver again. Um, but when he was over the road and, you know, he was at least home when he could, um, you know, we, we were watching football and we would record games and then watch them together. Um, you know, sit in the recliner together, watch, watch the chiefs, everything else. Um, listen to it on the radio, listen to Len Dawson and Bill Grigsby on the chiefs radio. Um, but then I, I still remember him coming to practices, um, sitting in the back end of his pickup truck, watching me, you know, waiting for practice to be done, everything else like that. Um, and us spending some late nights together too, talking football. Um, but then I, I still, I remember too, you know, us bonding together um, you know, and another passion of mine is barbecue. And I, I you know that, um, mm-hmm. but us, us bonding over barbecue and tailgating and, you know, sharing that love of football and also then learning about, you know, another aspect of the game too, which is the fan side of it. And, you know, the tailgating portion, and everything else, um, you know, it's another thing we bonded over. Um, it was, it's a lot of fun and I, I miss those. And then my mom, you know, throughout high school, you know, she would, she did everything she could for us after dad passed, you know, 
um, and was there trying to make as many games as she could for me. Um, you know, I, I couldn't say thank you enough to her. Um, you know, I remember my senior night. It was a complete blowout. I remember that. Um, it was a homecoming homecoming game in senior night. And we got destroyed. But just being there, having her there and being able to say thank you to her um, for everything she had done, um, you know, to get me through school and through football and everything else you know, was such a great memory. And just looking back on it, I I couldn't be where I am today, you know, if it wasn't for my dad and it wasn't for my mom and then also for my stepdad, you know. So those those three really have been some of the biggest inspirations um, for my love of the game, Um, but then with my life too. That's really cool. How... What impact, because I'm, I'm sure it was, it's definitely tough, and I, I don't know this from experience, but I know from friends that, you know, lost a father at a younger age, what was that experience, especially through sports, of transitioning from, you know, your just you and your mom and then your stepdad coming along and like how did how did he kind of impact that a little bit if you don't mind me asking it 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 was difficult um you know when I lost my dad I was uh I was in seventh grade and I actually quit playing football um because I I was I, I was devastated um you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't want to play because I didn't have him there. Um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't, I wasn't able to share my love of the game with him anymore or anything else. Um, so I went all the way until my sophomore year of high school, um, without playing organized football. Um, where no, no, I take that back. Um, I played my eighth grade season, um, and I started to play my freshman season and I said, no, I, I can't do it. Um, it, it was just too much for me. Um, not, not having my dad there. Um, and so I, I, I quit, I quit playing football. Um, and I think it was, it was soft. I think sophomore, sophomore year, um, kind of halfway through the season, I was like, okay, Hey, you know, let's give this another shot. I transferred high schools, um, halfway through freshman year. And I said, and they, my new high school was getting a new head coach. And I said, okay, let's, let's give this a shot again. Um, and see maybe if this coach could make an impact on me. And, you know, my mom was all for it. Um, you know, my stepdad as well, you know, um, he was a really good supporter as well. Um, you know, and I, I won't say it wasn't tough though, getting back into the game because you kind of got to reteach yourself after being away from it for, you know, a a year or so. Um, especially at such a pivotal age as well. Um, but being able to get, just get back into having fun 
and being part of a team again is what I enjoyed. Um, and being able to share the field with some, with my friends in school as well. Um, now my high school days, they were not the best. We didn't win a game until my senior year of high school. We went, we won two games when I was in high school and those didn't come until my senior year. And we won two games in a row and that was it. I, I can relate to that on um, some level as well. But now would you say trying to, because, you know, it, it definitely would be hard to continue playing when you kind of lost your connection to the game uh-huh. and then you know, coming back essentially a year later and trying to, you know, kind of rebuild and kind of regrow inspiration to take football back up. Because as we all know, football is not an easy sport to just jump yeah. back into. Um, would you say that was kind of your toughest challenge when it came to – you're not you're, – encounter with football or is it something completely different you know uh, probably so um it it, i would say that could be definitely one of my toughest challenges um i think kind of what makes it tougher too when i was getting back into the game is where i went to school too i mean it is an inner inner city school you know the school district and the school as well didn't have the greatest funding, you know, for athletics and everything else for the weight rooms, everything. Um, it's not like schools you see that are more so in the suburbs, you know, of metros to where they have these great athletic facilities and they have great looking fields and great weight rooms and everything else. You know, our weight room was this probably 20 by 20 concrete brick room that had a few racks and that was about it. And you, they would tell us, okay, well, let's get some lifting in, but it wasn't being pushed. There was no real strength and conditioning going on. Um, There was real no drive or anything to make yourself better. You had to do it yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think that was a big challenge there um, because I feel if, I maybe would have had, you know, more of a push and drive. Maybe things would have been a little bit different, you know, coming out of high school. Um, You know, when it comes to playing side of things and recruiting and everything else. Um, But then probably my, the other biggest challenge I ever faced um, was deciding to step away from the game, um, you know, for good. And, you know, you and I, we both faced that at our time in Ottawa. Um, Injuries between us and, you know, just having to make that decision as well. You know, how, how can I actually benefit the team while still being a part of it, but not actually playing? And, you know, I can't say enough, you know, praise and thank you to Coach K um, and Beechner and, you know, really to Coach Amoka for bringing me on, um, you know, and bringing me down to Ottawa when they did. Um, 
I still remember the visits and, you know, coming down there and everything else. And my whole recruiting process, you know, when I was looking between Benedictine University of St. Mary and Ottawa and, you know, when it came down to it, I, I, I remember us reporting in August um, and going through summer camp, everything else like that, you know, those, those first couple weeks that you, we all remember living hell. Um, and then getting into it and coming up towards the Baker game. And I just remember going, okay, you know, th- this level of play is a lot more difficult and, it'll, you know, maybe I'm not truly cut for it. Um, so let's maybe, take this season off and, you know, really try and get myself in shape and, you know, help the team from a different side of things, you know, this season. And that, you know, talking with, you know, at the time, Coach Mendez, who was our O-line coach at GA and, you know, awesome for him. He's offensive coordinator down there at Ottawa now, Um, you know, but it was – that that was a difficult thing, and then going into the sophomore season, actually t- having that discussion with Coach K and going, hey, you know, I think my role is better fit as, you know, a coaching assistant, manager, whatever it was, you know, my role. Um, I, I that that was a really tough decision, and I, I think I don't know if it was for you or not, but you could maybe say the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every – and I'll say this just to tack on. Every player knows that that day is coming. Mm-hmm. It's just – it's hard to accept it, and sometimes it happens sooner than you want yes. or you're expecting. And so, you know, it. even when you know that, like, your body's broken down, hey, today's the day, like, it doesn't make it any easier because mentally you think, I'm freaking God, like, I can do anything, you know? Right, we're we're 20-year-old kids, we could do anything. Yeah, and and to play football, and I I don't say that in a egotistical way, but as a football player, you almost have to have that, like, mindset and attitude that, like, I can do anything I want, it doesn't matter. And I, and I think that's where you kind of almost get the, the best of the best kind of have that mindset and they're able to just, you shouldn't say like flip switch, but you kind of can flip that switch of just, Oh, it's game day. Like they hit the switch. This dude is going to go off. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you remember, but do you remember a uh, cocky, you know, overweight offensive lineman coming in his freshman year and calling out our all-American defensive line, defensive end in camp? I probably do, yeah. (laughs) I remember calling out Van Dusen and going one-on-one with him during drills, you know, those first couple times we went full pads and 
I, I think that earned a lot of respect from people. Um, but then we're just like, what is this guy doing? Why, why is he doing this? Um, but you know, I wanted to at least try and hold my own and prove myself that I, I des- deserve to be there um, is what I kind of thought in my mind. But to call out an all-American defensive end, and <laughs> I mean, you you remember Van Dusen? This dude was jacked. Yeah. I mean, he you look at him, and he's what he was six four, six five, just this California good old boy, that long surfer, black hair, just a shredded body, that V cuts, and you'd see him walking around campus and he's got those shorts on that, you know, baggy muscle shirts. Yep. The top and the, you know, the thong flip flop sandals and just a giant jug of water. (laughs) And he's everyone's best friend. But then you get out onto the field and dear God, you don't want to be next to him. No, him and him and Pierce were two of the, you know, baddest guys on campus. And you didn't want to be with him in the weight room either. And I, oh I, God, I, no! I still remember Van Dusen taking me under his wing, and God, and five a.m. workouts with him—they sucked. Yeah, and then the crazy part is like they do their workout, and then they're back in the gym four or five hours later, and they're like, and and Deuce would look at me. He's like, every day is max day. I'm like, yeah, what? And he's like. Every day is max day. Like we we bench max every day. Like what the hell is wrong with you guys? Like no, <laughs> like that does, no that logically doesn't make sense. But like it that's that's how they trained and like that's what worked for them. And so, and I I love Deuce. Like that dude, you know, he took me under his wing a little bit, and I think me showing up my second year kind of help get his support even more Mm -hmm. of just toughing it out and stuff because I think everyone knows if if you know you want to play college ball you know going in like oh this is gonna suck like it's gonna be tough especially the first couple weeks but it's the fact like once you're actually doing it you're just like oh my god like every almost every hour you're just like all right this this is a good time to quit yeah well I think too, another difficult part. And, you know, I, I wasn't on this, that side of it defensively. Um, but I know you guys like had play playbooks and schemes you had to learn and stuff too, but coming at it on an offensive line side and coming from the high school game to where you really didn't have a playbook, you really didn't have stuff to memorize and now going into college and you're going into such an intricate scheme like coach K had to where it was, majority no huddle spread offense and he's throwing up cards from the sidelines of what needs to be ran and everything else it was more it's like Oregon out there and you're just like okay what does Yosemite Sam Elmer Fudd the Pillsbury Doughboy and a right turn arrow give us and you're just like oh my god and if you get that combination wrong because that combination could be used three different, four different ways. Yeah. And mean like six different plays or something like that. And you're just, you could be running the wrong play while your offensive line and the rest of your team's going one way, you're going the other. And that, that was difficult. 
Yeah, it it definitely. It, I think that's part of what really makes certain players stand out quicker or learn quicker is if you had a high school system, offense or defense, and just coaching staff wise, where like they literally taught you the game and broke down stuff to help you understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you try to become a college player, it makes that transition so much easier because you understand yeah. the one, like you basically understand football one of two, really. Like one of one, it's like elementary and middle school. Like you know how to line up, you know where this is and that is. But like football one of two is understanding defensive schemes and that's quarterback. Where am I looking? What am I trying to read on defense? And then when you're a defensive player, you know, what formation are they in? Where what's the down distance? And now you're trying to analyze, okay, are they more likely to run or are they more likely to pass? So when you get to the college level, if you have a like a five percent understanding of that aspect, it makes it so much different. And so those kids that have that background, it's so much easier, especially at a small school, you're going to you're going to exceed more likely and and kudos to those kids so now we'll wrap this up in a couple minutes but i want to end it with with this question and and at you can add high school um kansas city chiefs and you know ottawa to this and I'm, and I'm going to ask this as the last question just because it's one of my favorite – it's probably one of my favorite questions is what what does game day mean to you? What What is that feeling of game day and maybe how is it different at all three levels possibly for God. you? You know, and I, as I answer this, I'm going to throw in another side of it too. Um, I'm going to throw in, you know, my fan perspective from growing up a Chiefs fan and, you know, playing in high school and, you know, my days in Ottawa, but then also, you know, what it meant to me as a broadcaster when I would go out and do high school games too. Um, especially in small town, Kansas as well. Um, so start first as a Chiefs fan. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to, but you have to attend a game at Arrowhead Stadium at least once in your lifetime. Um, it's on the bucket there, list. There is just something about getting there. And when I say getting there, it's not, you know, arriving to the stadium like an hour before the game and, you know, leaving your car and walking into the stadium. It is getting there an hour before parking gates open for a noon game. Parking gates open up at like 6 a.m. And cars are already starting to line up at like 3 o'clock in the morning at the parking gates waiting to get in. And you have fans already with their smokers going, waiting in line to get into their parking spots. And they're already having fun. They're tailgating already. 
And once we get inside, you know, the parking gates, you get your setup going, you start looking at the flags being raised, the, you know, the smoke rolling throughout the parking lot, that smell of barbecue in the air, especially on a nice cold, you know, fall morning with that sun starting to rise in the east coming up over the stadiums and everything else. It, it hits. It just, it hits you. Um, and there's been a few times where being out at the stadium for a game, you know, instead of me actually doing tailgating myself, you kind of walk the parking lot and you'll see people have a wedding, you know, while they're tailgating. Um, and they'll tell you, Hey, come on in, come, come join the party, grab some barbecue, have some drinks if you want. Um, you know, and everyone is family. Um, you'll and once you get inside the stadium, then no one sits down. They're standing the entire game. And you get there at the stadium with the voice. You leave there. You're not talking for the next week until it's game day again. <laughs> and you go back to the stadium because you lost your voice because you're so hoarse from yelling and screaming the entire game. There's a reason why Arrowhead has set – you know, the Guinness world record twice for the loudest stadium in the world. And that's because the fans make it a deafening roar. And when you get a third down situation and the crowd really gets involved and you start having the big plays and everything else, you get goosebumps and it's, it's so much fun. And no matter, no matter what, even if when the chiefs were losing or when they're winning, it's the same way. And so that right there, I mean, game day right there for me as a Kansas City fan, that's, it's, it's pride, it's passion, it's love, it's a family. And there's no better family in football. You know, Green Bay can obviously make a case for it. And I, I still need to go make my, make my trip up there, um, you know, and go to a game there. But for me there's there's no better spot than arrowhead you know until i find it but arrowhead will always be my number one um you know and when in high school gosh i i don't know what it was like for you um because with you growing up in tulsa but for me and the high school i went to it was more about our band than our football team and then our basketball team <laughs> It was more about our band and our basketball team than anything else um, at my high school. So football, we really didn't get much love, but everyone would come out and turn out for our band. And it wasn't, you know, your typical type of band where you have, you know, a lot of, you know, like the marching band that you see, like Ohio State, stuff like that. It's, the mm -hmm. it's like the drumline band where you have the That's player. Cool. Yes. And so you get that beat going, you feel your body swaying back and forth. You know, you have the guys with the big giant drums, you got the little snare drums, everything else going. And it's, it's like that Nick Cannon movie drumline or whatever it was, you get, you just get it rocking and feeling in your body. And so game day in high school, when you start hearing that band going, you start getting pumped and one thing that really got me going on game day in high school, 
and you may laugh at me for this, but one of my go-to songs was Empire State of Mind, that Beyonce and Jay-Z song. Oh, yeah. I I would listen to that nonstop on game day. And then, I, you know, obviously some Eminem as well. Um, and then uh, it was hilarious. Our coach set our playlist for when we would warm up on the field. And our song we would run out to and warm up to starting with was DJ Khaled, All I Do Is Win even though we would lose every game of every season. <laughs> Our song was All I Do Is Win. And we would look at Coach and just go, why? But, you know, finally once we won, hey, we're playing All I Do Is Win, baby. <laughs> um, you know, and then going to college, you know, and you you know this more than anything. I When – you start seeing that black helmet at the end of the field at Ottawa, you know, blown up that yellow smoke starting to roll and you start having, you know, what was it? Who, the, for whom the bell tolls or whatever um, is what we played or was it ACDC hell's bells? I can't remember, but when you start having that bell, those bells play. Yeah. Oh, that that's goosebumps right there. It was. And Absolutely. Seeing the guys just line up in the helmets, you know, bouncing back and forth, getting ready to come out, running out on the field. And what always, always ruined it for me, but then started becoming that thing I was expecting. And, you know, I would hate it if it didn't happen was Dr. Kugler and his band, the you know, the music, the jazz band or whatever, start playing the fight song as we're running out to the bells and everything else. And we're just like killing the mojo. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, so many at, people are upset about that. Yes. <laughs> like, but game day at Ottawa, I mean, you, it was it was something else. I mean, because for us being part of the team, it started so early, whether we were traveling, you know, or had a home game, whether it was an afternoon game or a night game, you know, we were starting stuff at like seven o'clock in the morning at times doing breakfast and all that other stuff. And, you know, I think when you get into college and you start playing that higher level level of ball, it's a full-time commitment. And so Ottawa was, Ottawa meant something different, but it, it was a lot of fun. And then kind of looking at it as a broadcaster, this is where I really got back down into the true roots of it. Um, Cause I was able to have that fan interaction again and really find the love and passion for the game again too because going out to these small high school towns and being part of their games and broadcasting them on the radio, I didn't want to sit in the press box. I wanted to set up right down in the stands and have that, you know, have that crowd noise in my broadcast. And I would sit there and I would talk with the fans before the games. I would talk with them after the games, get to know the families of the players. And they would go, well, Hey, you know, 
this gauge kid, you know, he's my, you know, he's my nephew or whatever. He's one to watch out for. And I'd be like, okay. And so sure enough, this kid, he balled out this game. And so, you know, talking with them the next week and, you know, they went back and listened to the game or stuff like that, or they'd listen to me while I was doing the game as they sat behind me and they go like, Hey, I really liked how you, you know, talked about gauge last week during the game and all this other stuff. And I was like, okay, well, who should I watch this week and stuff? It, it was a lot of fun because you've got to know these players at a different level, but you got to know the community around them too. Um, mm-hmm. And just seeing what a football, what, what high school sports can do for a community, especially in a small town, it's surprising. Um, and I, I never, I never knew that until I started broadcasting because back home in KC, you know, things don't shut down for a game. You know, you don't have parades for homecoming. You don't have, you know, the town being painted for, you know, a big game against a rival or anything else like that. And so seeing that happen, it, it made me kind of envious of what I missed out on, but it gave me a, a new love for the game. Yeah. I could agree with that. So I think, uh, and that that was that was one thing I asked Coach Smith when he recruited me. And he came to my high school, you know, because the school I went to was a small school in Tulsa, so mm-hmm. we didn't have the small town thing. But like our whole school felt like our own little town, and. You know, even though we had our struggling times, you know, my senior year, we were able to kind of sway the school to like come start supporting us more. And that was one thing I asked him was, is the school like its own community and own town? And he just goes, absolutely. He's like the entire town like shuts down for game day. And he was like, we average. Oh, I can't remember the number he said. I'm going to say like 2,000 people. Yeah. I mean, on there was homecoming and stuff. So, I mean, that's, it was definitely a different experience. And, and you'll, and you understand this, you know, especially being KCAC, we've been to some schools where we have to travel and, there's no one like yeah we're the away team we have more of a presence and we've gone to schools where it's just like so i'm pretty sure we have more managers or more water girls than they had fans like i i friends is one that really stuck out for me again with that you know because they're in Wichita. Yeah. And, like I, I friends is one that really sticks out. Um, and then, you know, Bethany always had a great turnout because that whole entire town just su- it supports everyone there. I mean, Lindsborg, it's Lindsborg is just a weird, crazy town. Those Swedes, they do stuff differently there, but um 
you know, that was, that was always a fun, fun atmosphere. Um, Kansas Westland always had great turnout from their fans, but God, I hated playing there or even going there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, oh. and I don't know. So one thing that really questions me is would I hate Kansas Westland as much as I do if I didn't know about stuff from coach K of what had happened and everything else. Right. Like the stories he told, it was just like, Oh, okay, cool. I don't like that team. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just because of that story. And then like when I went to go coach at Sterling, I kind of like shared that story and, and Sterling doesn't like Kate up. Like it's, it's our, it was already a thing. But then when I kind of shared like that story with them, there's like, oh yeah, we absolutely hate this school now. Yeah. I mean, K-Dub just kind of thinks they're better than everyone to begin with. And really they have no rhyme or reason to, but I, and I will admit they've got some great facilities. And I, I will say kudos to them. They, I mean, they've kind of dominated the conference the last couple of years. Like yeah. Tabor did before, then Ottawa, then Tabor tried to a little bit again. And so they've had recent success, you know, and they've, I mean, they made it to the final four in college, in the NAI college. So, you like, know what's, what's always been cool with K Dub, too, and it's, it's a geek in me part of it. I've always been a uniform geek, but K Dub has always had some nice, clean, you know, different. You know, they've got so many uniform combinations and them changing up decals throughout the scenes as well on that nice, crisp white helmet. You know, that's yeah. always that's always something I've been a fan of and, you know, different uniforms. So I will admit this. I, I was always jealous of Kansas Westland on that um, just because, hey, I'm, I'm not knocking the black and gold and what we did. No, but... Our, I think Ottawa's is iconic. Yes, but, but I, I I get what you what you're saying because recruiting against them, it almost felt like you were. This is going to sound so weird. You were recruiting against the against the single dad who like when the when the kids come over like it's free for all. We're going to do everything possible that like you want to do that's fun we're going to do whatever the trendy thing is of Saturdays or the, for the boys flag, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're going to have wrestling themed stuff and kudos to that staff. Like that staff bought in, they had fun with the stuff they did and that's how, and they had fun with their players. And I think that's part of the reason why they are so, so good the last several years. But then like you look at Sterling and Ottawa, it was more a traditional like, hey, we're good because our coaching staff knows what we're talking about. And I'm not saying Kate didn't know what they're talking about. But like we're not flashy. Like this is our uniforms. We love our uniforms. We you know, we stick with our traditional colors. Exactly. Bringing the yellow back was, you know, kind of a throwback uniform, but like that was a big deal for I, us. I, I love that gold uniform. I loved it, but we were defeated in it every time we wore yes. it. Yes. 
Yeah. So like oh. that kind of got X pretty quick. <laughs> Cause coach K and his, uh, superstitions. Woo. Hey, I'm along with it. Like I agree. Oh, so am I. So am I. Like you remember, well, just a side note, you remember that one time that we were walking to the radio station and there's a black cat that literally walked in front of our path. And I walked around the entire radio station just to make sure I did not cross paths with the black cat. Yep. Which it took another like five minutes out of our time to get to the station, but I did not get jinxed and have bad luck that night. So exactly. <laughs> I, there, I, there's so many things, you know, through our time in the KCAC and, you know, I, I, we can touch on it more next week too, but, you know, you brought up a good recruiting piece too. Um, I remember during my time doing some broadcasting and kind of also trying to help find some kids for Ottawa to recruit, you know, as I'm doing these games and everything else, I, I remember uh, a wide receiver, and we were looking at him, and I think his other school he was looking at was Southwestern. And he chose Southwestern because Southwestern put the names of their players on the back of the jersey. And so he went with them instead of Ottawa for that. Dude, just go to a custom jersey website and get that done. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm sorry. I, I'd rather – it's not about the name on the back of the jersey. It's about the name on the front of the jersey and the tradition and the history it stands for. Exactly. Like, if you're good enough, you'll make your name known. Exactly. And, you know, it was I, – I remember that and Southwestern doing that and, you know, different schools throughout our con- conference. And I, I still remember the game with Bethany where they came on uh, – to us, it was, gosh, I think it was your senior year, my junior year, they came in with those new uniforms with those whiteout numbers with, like, the gray outline or something. Yes. And those were such illegal uniforms. You could not read them from the press box or anything, and yet the refs – let them get away with it. Their coaches were absolutely terrible, destroyed the press box. They destroyed our locker room. They beat us and, you know, started getting into fights with us, you know, throughout the game and everything else. And I I vividly remember that game because of how awful and disrespectful Bethany was during that game from their coaches and everything. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that game specifically. I it's I if if Coach if, one. if Coach K has ever had to be held back, that was that was the game. But I think more so it was Hamolka. Hamolka got sent off the sideline, if I remember correctly, and got sent to the press box by K during that game. I think so. Yeah, because he was in the press box the second half with us. Yeah, ex- yeah, and I, I vividly remember Homolka getting 
joining us up on uh, us up on top of the press box during that second half and you know him and Donald and you you know really us having to hold Homoka back from not going off on the you know the coaches from Bethany up on top of the roof either and that 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 was a small roof and a small press box too yeah that definitely was Oh, there's there's a lot of memories there. Um, I don't miss that scissor lift. <laughs> I don't. No. I don't. I don't miss the scissor lift in the swamp. The with the no. plywood with the plywood floor that was dry rotted out, and the flat tires and. And if you had two miles an hour, two like mile an hour wind, that thing just shook to death. 40 feet up in the air and dear gosh oof <laughs> that well, I it, think that's a uh, that's a great talking point to end it on right there <laughs> I, I think so too <laughs> so but gosh that that was a fun episode um, I can't wait to learn you know hear your story next week um, and uh, really hear what got you into football and everything else and what's continued your love and passion for it too. Um, And uh, we've got a special episode coming up too, don't we? Between this, between this one and uh, your episode. Yeah. I think we're might release it on Sunday or something or so. Yeah. So what, one of those days. So what, what's this, what's this special episode going to be chance? Uh, so we're going to do a mock draft, a fantasy football mock draft. It's going to be super simple. We're we're going to keep it um, – it won't be too long of a podcast. It's only going to be 12 rounds. It's going to be one quarterback, two running back, two wide receivers, a tight end, a flex, and then five bench spots. So it will be quick, easy. And it will just kind of give you our perspective of some players fantasy-wise and – maybe realistically what our our real life, you know, ideas and thoughts of them are and how they'll fit into their systems coming up this next season. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be something just fun, easy, and quick episode to kind of let people enjoy and see another side of us as well. Well, and true, too, it gives us, you know, that chance to really be interactive with our fans, I would say. Um, and our listeners, because we're going to publish this mock draft and the teams that we we have, we're going to pub- publish this on Twitter. Um, and we want to hear then from you guys, if you had to do this draft, you know, which team are you going with? Are you going to go with Chance's team? Are you going to go with my team? Or, you know, maybe we'll list a couple of the other teams that were, uh, you know, mock draft as well um, by the computer. And which team would you select there? Um and I now that I'm thinking about this and talking this through, it's almost making me want us to have a, just a two-man league with computers running the rest of them to see how this plays out for the whole entire season. Right. <laughs> I think we need to look into this now, Chance. <laughs> I mean, we might be able to. We'll do. We'll do a couple mock drafts leading up to the year and. Maybe that last one we'll we'll do as a 
uh, side one just for just just for us and keep track of it a little bit. Yeah. So, but no, uh, great episode. I'm looking forward to yours next week. Looking forward to our special episode. Um, you know, thank you to everyone that tunes in um, and uh, listens and shares us and everything else. Um, you know, we really appreciate it. Uh, you know, as always, give us a follow on Twitter at Sports Trenches um, and interact with us there. You know, we're on Spotify. Um, we're on Apple Podcasts. And if you're, you know, our third platform, which is where we record at, is Anchor as well, um, which is a, you know, ran through Spotify. Um, so it, it's great platform, really good um, that we're able to do the recording and everything else right here, um, you know, on our phone, edit and everything else and do it remotely with both of us as well uh, and not have to be together and being able to publish this for you guys. Um, but obviously new episodes every Friday, 10 a.m. They drop on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Anchor and, uh, you know, interact with us on Twitter and everywhere else. And uh, coach, you got any final words? No, just uh, make sure you follow us and interact with us. We love to bounce ideas and questions uh, between each other and our fans. And I know Vinny has been interacting with us lately on Twitter and stuff and kind of commenting on some stuff. Uh, One of my former players from Sterling, absolutely love the dude, great guy. Um, So go ahead and join us and – interact we got a we got some polls up right now of different teams you would rather like or by various things different players and everything like that so we'll uh we try to update new content almost every day if we can and mm-hmm. we definitely try to share current news that's going on with around nfl and uh you know, mlb maybe, and nba yeah, a little bit kind of all the sports you know whether it's something that piques our interest as we're scrolling through the Twitterverse or something like that, you know, and if we find it interesting, we're definitely going to share it with you guys. Um, you know, yeah, we focus in a lot on football, but, you know, we want to hear what you guys want to talk about too. Um, you know, if you want us to dive in on, you know, baseball or a random s- subject or something like that, or the whole Freddie Freeman situation that's going on right now between him and his former agent, you know, we'll try and do our best to talk about it, but you know, again, thank you. Like, like always, um, everyone that tunes in, uh, give us that follow on Twitter at sports trenches, follow us on, uh, Spotify, Apple podcasts, give us a listen, share it with your grandma, share it with your aunt, uncle, the baby next door, you know, give it, give everyone a listen and, uh, you know, we'll be back at it again next week. So, uh, thank you. And coach, you have a excellent night. You too, sir.